2: I am blessed, as you are, to know that Jesus is all that I need. There are a lot of people out there looking to meet a need that don't realize that Jesus is all they need. And you may have arrived here this evening with a, a sense of loss in your soul, maybe a sense of need. Maybe there's something that you want to see happen or something that you hoped would happen that hasn't happened. Do we really take that seriously, that Jesus is all that we need? I know sometimes I say those words, and it's really a word of faith, because in the meantime, I'm scrambling, trying to gather unto myself what I believe I need. In Christ, there is a rest for the soul. In him, there is a provision that we desperately need to be nurtured with. That is his presence, the awareness of that presence. I'm not talking about the fact that we have him all the time, but the awareness of that presence, the faith that apprehends the truth of that presence, the faith that allows you to embrace the fact that Jesus is all that you need. This is something that we don't carry around with us readily because there's a war between truth and the lie of the enemy that is telling us we need everything but Jesus and leaves us with a vacuum. Today we're going to look at the first five verses of Hebrews chapter 8, and I noticed in my study that most of the theologians and biblical scholars will try to present the eighth chapter of Hebrews as a whole. Well, I am not able to do that. I feel like there's too much to be covered there, and so I'm only going to present the first five verses. And as we go through this, I want you to, again, quiet your souls before him, listen for the Spirit's voice, because it's not important about what I say, it's what the Spirit of God speaks to you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5, Paul writes, We're destroying sophisticated arguments and every exalted and proud thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God. And we are taking, present tense, every thought and purpose captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, Paul is addressing spiritual warfare in this verse, and there's a great determination on the part of our enemy, and the world, and the flesh to draw our attention away and to get us focused on something other than the words of the Spirit, the nurture of the Spirit to our soul. It's not an innocent wandering of the mind or simply a harmless distraction. It's truly calculated to steal the truth that the Spirit of God would place in our souls. So when we allow ourselves to be distracted, we play into the hands of the enemy in this way. We are to worship in spirit and truth. And when we come here, we bring our bodies into the posture of worship. We yield our souls to spiritual worship. When our voices join heaven's praises, this is not a ritual. This is not just an exercise. This is where We exercise the spiritual part of us, the truth of us, and that is what is most important. The people of God being gathered together here in what God calls holy and reverential worship. It's no small thing. It's not casual. It really isn't. If you'll forgive me this application, it's not near as casual as our current Christian community would like to make it appear. You go to Revelation and you read Revelation and show me where the angels are lounging around the throne. Do you see that? Where the hosts of heaven are distracting themselves with their various interests. Do you see that going on? Certainly when Jesus was among men on earth... Those who were with him did not crawl about on their knees and wear their Sunday best every time they were in his presence. However, when he revealed himself as the Son of God, they fell on their faces, they fell on their knees, they worshipped him with reverence. They gave him, and this is the point, they gave him their full attention. When we gather here, we are here to worship the revealed Lord and Savior. We are here to enter into the activity of the high priest of heaven and the truth of our spiritual being. I think society really needs to dial back its casual approach to worship. Yes, we are intimate with him. Yes, we commune with him in every moment. Yes, we live in his presence. Yes, we are accepted unconditionally as his children, but we gather here for the dedicated purpose to worship him. So take every thought captive, give him the worship, give him your worship and your undivided attention. Don't take this as an admonition. Don't take it as a rebuke. Take it as a reminder to pull your mind, your soul, mind, will, and emotions back to truth and literally see yourself in his presence. It's not about me. It's not about this building. It's about the gathering of the people of God in worship. Now let's look at our text. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 5. Now the main point of what I have to say is this. We have such a high priest, the Christ who is seated in the place of honor at the right hand of the throne of the majesty God in heaven, a minister officiating priest in the holy places and in the true tabernacle, which is erected not by man, but by the Lord. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is essential for this one also to have something to offer. Now, if he were still living on earth... He would not be a priest at all. There are priests who offer the gifts to God in accordance with the law. They serve as a pattern and foreshadowing of what has its true existence and reality in heavenly things, the sanctuary. For when Moses was about to erect the tabernacle... He was warned by God saying, See that you make it exactly according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. Again, I want to remind you of the theme of Hebrews. It is the absolute sufficiency and superiority of Jesus Christ. Now, as we have pointed out, these Hebrew Christians had been divided as they were undergoing a severe persecution for their faith in Christ as their Messiah. And the persecution was coming from their own brethren, from the religious leaders, and consequently even from their own families. They were living in the shadow of the temple. It was still existing, and they were being drawn back into the rituals and festivals that they and their family had participated in for generations. So some had been trying to do both. They'd been trying to live to Judaism... And the Spirit of God is calling them back. The Spirit of God, through the author, is seeking to convince them that they could forsake Judaism altogether. That Jesus is superior to Judaism. That they were living in the shadow and forsaking the substance. Now that is its application to us as well that it's very easy to live to the shadow and forsake the substance. And what the shadow for us is, living according to the flesh, the shadow for us is living in this temporal world. This temporal world is the shadow. The things of this world are shadows if they are the priority for you, then you are living to the shadow rather than to the substance. And this is why Paul, among others in the the New Testament, is constantly looking to draw our attention past the shadow to the substance. That the shadow needs only to accentuate the fact that you have a God. It should not be your constant and clarion call to try to bring God into the shadow. It should be your reminder that you have been taken from the shadow and brought into the light, and you are to live from the fullness of that light. Unfortunately, the enemy would have you believe that you can serve God from the shadow. He would have you believe that you can live the Christian life in the shadows. Well, that may be what you're calling it, may, may even be what ministers are calling it, but I will tell you, it is not the truth. It is not the substance. It is a shadow. Now, he has demonstrated that Jesus is superior to the angels and to all creation. He is superior to the patriarchs. He is superior to the priesthood and to the Levitical priesthood. He belongs to a higher and pre-existent order, the eternal spiritual order of Melchizedek. And now we are told that he serves in a superior temple and administers a new covenant. Now the old covenant is represented by the old priesthood. Just as the new covenant is presented and represented by a new priesthood and functions through the new priesthood. The old covenant functioned through the old priesthood, through the Levitical system. It had to. The Levitical system gave form and substance to the truth of the old covenant. It was there to remind them of who their God was and who they were in respect to their God. And it was there to remind them of the worship that they should be involved in. It was there to remind them that all that they had belonged to that God and was given of that God. That was the purpose of the Levitical priesthood. To literally mark in the minds of those who were living according to the flesh the truth of a spiritual God... In a spiritual heaven, who was literally orchestrating their lives from heaven. That's what that priesthood was for. Now we have a new priesthood, a high priest. And we're going to learn a little bit more about his ministry and about what he is doing. But the new covenant has its form, its substance in our high priest. The old covenant. Headed in the old priesthood. Jesus is now the high priest of Christianity. The Holy Spirit has shown and will show that Christ is superior over Aaron. And I read this to you last week, but it is still true. Aaron was just a man. Our author points that out. Christ is Son of God. That's in verse 3. Aaron belonged to the tribe of Levi. Christ belonged to according to the flesh, belonged to the tribe of Judah, which is a royal tribe. And that makes him a priest-king, like Melchizedek. Aaron was made after the law, that is the legal requirement, and Christ was after the power of an eternal life, that's in verse 16. Aaron made nothing perfect. Christ introduced a perfect relationship. Aaron was unable to bring anyone nigh unto God, which is man's created purpose, but Christ has. Aaron was not inducted into the priesthood by divine oath, but Christ was. Aaron had many successors, Christ has none. Aaron went the way of his fathers in death, Christ lives forever. Aaron was a sinner, Christ was not. Aaron was only a priest head of an earthly people. Christ is a spiritual high priest over the children of God. Aaron had to sacrifice daily for his sins and the sins of the people. Christ offered one sacrifice once for all. We don't need another priest. No need for another type, another shadow. The symbols and the shadows have served their purpose. The symbolism should be done away with to make room for the substance. It's time to put away the childish things of the past and to enter into a true, truly mature manhood. When the Messiah appeared in the temple, appeared, the temple was still standing. It still stood in Jerusalem. Its priesthood still functioned. The sacrifices were still offered. But now its purpose has been served. Its mission has been accomplished. The presence of God is seen residing in God incarnate. John 2, 21. That's Jesus. God took the law and its commandments and its ordinances and nailed it to the cross. So the author is pleading with the Hebrews, drop the old economy. Drop it all together and fully enter into the new economy by faith. And that's to us as well. Drop living to the shadow. Drop living to the flesh. Drop living to the world. Drop casting your dreams, your desires, your hopes, your joy in the things of this world. And embrace the new covenant. For joy is in the presence of God. Provision is the truth of God. Abundance is Christ himself. Embrace the fullness of this. Then these other things become simply what they are. Shadows. Drop the old economy. Embrace the new one. Jesus offered one sacrifice. Now, for us to see the need to drop the economy of the temporal and live to the truth of the spiritual, we need to yield ourselves to the Spirit of God for the revelation that we are living in the spiritual. To recognize that we should live out of the fullness of the new covenant. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, now the main point of what we have to say is that we have such a high priest who is seated in the place of honor at the right hand of the throne of the majesty God in heaven, a minister officiating priest in the holy places and in the true tabernacle, which is erected not by man, but by the Lord. So we see the main point. The main point, the Greek word there is kephalapion And it means the main point or principal thing is that we have a high priest that is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, I know a lot of you have studied the new covenant, so you know the significance of that. But we're going to go through it anyway, so bear with me. The Greek word for seated is kavitzo, and it means to sit down. Or to be seated. And it's the same as when a king is sitting upon a throne. He is given a throne. And its significance in the Levitical priesthood was that the Levitical priest would never sit down there was no seats in the temple save the mercy seat which none would dare sit upon it was in the holy of holies the priests were always ever busy continuously offering sacrifices continuously offering offerings for the sake of the people and themselves they had no time and should not have been seated Christ on the other hand sat down we have a high priest who is seated he would sit as a king upon the throne He would assume all authority and governance is now his, just as a king would sit upon a throne because all authority and governance is now his. And it is significant that he sat down in the Holy of Holies on the mercy seat. Now, only once a year... On the Day of Atonement, would a priest go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and then immediately bow out of there because that represented the throne of God? But Jesus sat. Now, he didn't sit because he was tired, he sat to indicate to all of heaven and those who were in heaven that it was finished, it was complete. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. One theologian points out that the right hand was always the seat of honor and glory. Jesus offered one sacrifice and entered into the heavenly sanctuary through the heavens as the high priest offered his sacrifice. He sat down at the mercy seat, the throne of God, as the triune God declared, "'It is finished.'" In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, it says, He who overcomes the world through believing that Jesus is the Son of God, I will grant him the privilege to sit beside me on my throne as I overcame and sat down beside my Father on his throne. He sits there upon the mercy seat at the right hand of God and anchors us with his presence there, anchors us in the very presence of God, As we are now in him, his spirit ministers within us the ministry of the high priest in heaven. That is the ministry of Christ. Hebrews 6.19 This hope, this confident assurance we have as an anchor of the soul. It cannot slip, it cannot break under whatever pressure bears upon it. A safe and steadfast hope that enters within the veil of the heavenly temple. That most holy place in which the very presence of God dwells. He is the anchor for the soul. Now, we looked at that verse before. But your soul needs an anchor. You believe me? It needs an anchor. It needs to be secured. And what the Word of God is telling you is there is no other place for your soul to be secured. It can't be secured in your bank account. It can't be secured in your your marriage. It can't be secured in your role on this earth. It must be secured in Him. And that security is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who took the anchor and holds you in place. The chief point is that we have a high priest seated, who is seated and ministers to us and for us in the heavenly sanctuary. Not an over-busy, preoccupied priest who could never finish the work before him. The work is done. He's not seeking to complete, but serves to establish the child of the new birth in truth through faith. Now, through this ministry, we are in the presence of God. In 719, we are told that by this priest, we draw near to God. We live in the heavenly sanctuary, in the presence of God. And one day we'll move from faith to sight, and we'll see all of this with vivid clarity. But the truth is, because we are blinded by shadows, we don't see the truth that we are literally in the presence of God, that we dwell with Him in His presence. We don't see that. And getting to heaven has always been, I guess, described to us as arriving and... Getting totally acquainted with something that's all new to us. I'm not sure that's true. Because you are seated with him. I don't think you're going to be a stranger in heaven at all. I don't think you're going to be listed as a newcomer. I don't think you're going to get the welcome wagon gift basket. I think that literally God is going to look you in the face and say, You see, it is all here. It has always been here and so have you. Many of us believe that death is the end of one life and another life somewhere else. But I want to tell you it's a continuation of the life you already have. It's not taking your life away to some place. It's literally bringing you into the fullness of the life you already have. The priests who serve and the tabernacles of this world are a shadow, a figure, an illustration of a heavenly sanctuary. Now, the author illustrates this by pointing to the tabernacle that Moses erected. It was a type or a pattern that God showed him. In fact, all the Jewish religious forms and institutions were to be only copies, visible illustrations of a greater spiritual reality. They had deep meaning to the Jew. The curtains, the veil, the altar, the vessels, all the Levitical rituals had deep meaning. And for 1,500 years, the temple and the Levitical priesthood, with all of its rites and rituals, were kept in place. They were just shadows that represented all that God had in his heart for man. From the beginning... When man fell in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, and God knowing and had already determined that we should be saved by the sacrifice of his son, John 3.16, the revelation was always there. God has always been the one holy, just, and righteous, Psalm 111.3. Man is as born as a sinner in need Romans 3 23 and is shut out from the glory of the presence of God Isaiah 59 2 and God gave reconciliation between the two which was achieved by the shedding of blood
1: thank you for joining us for his life revealed with pastor Todd Granger this program is the radio ministry of his life fellowship in San Antonio Texas if you'd like to know more about us P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas 78006.